You see that crap? All that horror crap? Things coming out of crates and eating people? Dead people coming back to life? People turning into weeds, for Christ's sake? Well, yes, I did, but I... Well, you want them reading that stuff? Well, no, but... All right, then. Hello and welcome, welcome and hello. This is, wait, you haven't seen? And it's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 85. Our movie this week was the horror anthology Creep Show and coming on to help me talk about it is Monica. How you doing, Monica? I'm good, I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Fourth week in a row. Yeah. And also coming on to talk with us about it is Christina. How you doing? Doing great. So, okay. I had not seen this before. Somehow I managed to go until almost 39 years old having never seen Creepshow. Bad. You're 39? I'm kind of sad that I hadn't seen it before now. Yes, I am almost 39. Okay. <laughs> go ahead. Um because I, I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun with it. It is exactly what I thought it would be, which it, it so, okay. Creepshow was released in 1982. It's a horror anthology. Um, it is basically a homage or a love letter to the old 50s horror anthology comics, Tales from the Crypt and such, uh, written by Stephen King and directed by George A. Romero. How I managed to never see this, I don't know. Because it was a ton of fun. I love these little, I love short stories anyway. I'm always a big fan of them. And I think horror leads to anthologies really, really well. So I'm kind of sad that I hadn't seen this, but I I mean, I fixed that now because this was super fun. It had that like comic book feel to it uh, with the interstitial, the animated interstitials with uh, how they framed a lot of stuff um, that I really enjoyed, but also they were fun little stories. So what I want to know from the two of you, and I'll start with Christina is how do you feel about horror anthologies on the whole as like a, um, as an idea. And then as something that gets released to theaters, I enjoy them. Um, again, like you said, horror leads to short stories. You can tell a lot in a short story for horror without adding too much fluff, Mm -hmm. uh, creep show body bags, which is another one, based uh, on comic books. Uh, and there's a couple of other ones out there I can't think of off the top of my head, but Creepshow had this, the movies, and then recently uh, a, a short TV season. Yeah, yeah. Now, how about you, Monica? What do you think of as, uh, how do you feel on like horror anthologies? Usually I'd say most horror anthologies are pretty bad, but... Um... And not necessarily bad in that they're unwatchable. Uh, just that usually there's, <laughs> I find that there's like one really good story and then two other stories that I never want to, uh, you know, watch. Uh, can, case in I... point, Trilogy of Terror. Uh, <laughs> have you? Has anyone, have, have either of you seen that? Yes. Like, we're all waiting for the little fetish doll, right? Because that's what I'm waiting for. <laughs> when I'm watching that, or at least I fast forward to it, you know? So it's like, and the other stories are fine. I'm sure like, well, the ones from the seventies are a little hard to, to digest for me. Uh, I don't know. The newer one was um, 
they actually they made a, a sequel, a made for TV sequel for Trilogy of Terror, and the first story of that is actually really friggin' good. Um, I would recommend going to watch that if you can find it. I have no idea, but it also has like the third story is the fetish doll. So I mean, but nothing, nothing stops Karen Black from being just phenomenal in that original movie. But either way, go ahead watch it. Okay. Um, but yeah, this is one of my one of my favorite anthologies. I would say it's uh, definitely it is, got a good place in the heart. Yeah, it's mostly it, it's mostly good stories, and the other part is is I did see it when I was very 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 way too young. Um, yep, it's in indelled. Is that a word? Indelled in my brain. I don't think that's how you use that. But who cares? Anyway, indoctrinated. <laughs> that works. It's like forever in the the it it lives rent free in my brain. There as you the go. kids say nowadays. That, that you know, works. and it's just it's just it's there. Like all the sequences, grass growing on your tongue, like I think about that every once in a while. And, you know, tombstone falling and uh just Ed Harris dancing. Just everything is always in my brain. <laughs> every so often I'll just think about it when something happens. Yeah. That, yeah. that Ed Harris dancing is never going to leave my brain ever again. Mm-hmm. I can tell you yeah, that much. It's not. Anytime <laughs> I see him, I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I any, so. anytime people talk about, you know, germs and blah, blah, blah. I think of the, the final one in this, which is the mm-hmm. germaphobe. Yep. Yeah. No. It, so, okay. I like Stephen King as a writer his his one weakness typically is that his endings aren't great, right? I mean, that's usually what people say. It's like the endings to his horror stories aren't the greatest thing. They have these really, really great setups, and then they just sort of this lackluster ending. One of the nice things about a short story is it doesn't matter if it ends like that or not because you're the, a short story is just capturing one aspect of things. And that's why I think horror leads so well to shorts. Um, part of it, too, is that yep. I've read a lot of horror shorts where a short story is like, okay, we're going to take one aspect, we're going to take one part of this thing, we're going to expand on it, and that's going to be your whole story. So it doesn't need to have a three-act structure. It doesn't need to have a beginning, middle, and end. It's just this one part of it. And so if, you're, if your shortcoming is the ending, then short stories are great because you don't have to worry about that. And King does a great job of setting up stuff so well. And so one of the other things I liked about this was, Monica, you mentioned most anthologies, it's like one story you really like and then two that are kind of meh, right? Uh, Tales from the Crypt had that, or it's like, I barely remember, or not Tales from the Crypt, um, uh, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, which was based on the show, but that movie, I I remember the the third one, the third story in that with the gargoyle but I couldn't tell yep. you about, you know, the first one at all. I've completely forgot that, you know, it was about a mummy or anything like that until I rewatched it. I will never forget that gargoyle story. Yep. No, Neither I won't will I. ever. But what was cool about this was it was five stories. I kind of like that there was five of them instead of this, like three, three is usually pretty good, um, especially in a feature film. But that kind of helped these stories out because they only needed to be 20 minutes long. And you can still fill out a full two-hour film. And, you know, if you're a studio or you're a, a, a filmmaker and you're making something and you do, say, five 20-minute movies, 20-minute little shorts, it's easy to cut one of those if it just doesn't work or it bogs the pacing down and still have feature length. So I kind of like that, whereas if you've got three, 
you're kind of stuck with all three of those. And it also gives you the opportunity to tell some different types of stories because these were five kind of different horror stories in a way. Yeah, they uh, each dealt with a different aspect. Yeah, so uh, I like that. And I also like Romero as a director because I think he, in this, he really took some some cool ideas to kind of go in some different directions as far as like visually getting very creative with the Dutch tilts, especially in um, uh, the tide or tides coming in or whatever that one's called. Something to tide you over where he's, he's got the Dutch tilt going in two different directions. It's really making it seem just, just weird and it gets disorienting almost. I like that. And I liked the comic book panels. The, the use of lighting was kind of cool. How he would, uh, he would throw like a red gel and the, all of a sudden everything gets tinted red for a scene where something really crazy has happened. I think some of that allowed them to be a little gorier too, because if you notice that would, that lighting would change when something really gory would happen with the, say in the crate or something like that. Did you look that up? I didn't, uh, I did, uh, I didn't find anything on it. Because so. I was also thinking that's definitely part of it in, in movie making and stuff. But I was also wondering because I I haven't read too many of the actual comic books. Mm-hmm. But I know sometimes the stylization in the pictures can be a certain way. So I'm wondering if that was also part of an homage of how they used to draw it. Maybe it was the same kind of thing where like they could get away with more in the in the actual comic book. That would be interesting to find out, you know. It would like, be. If they did the same kind of thing. Because I think... I think they did some of that in the comics. I know I've seen that used a lot. I know Tarantino's used tricks like that, doing an entire sequence in black and white in Kill Bill so he can get away with having more kind of bloodshed on screen. So I think it works a little bit. And it also fits the tone that they're going for because this is horror, but it's got some comedic elements to it. And it's kind of lighter in that stretch or in that sense. So it falls in with the Evil Dead type of humor. Mm-hmm. More Evil Dead Two than uh, than Evil Dead One, but yeah, True. yeah, definitely does. Um, so let's talk a little bit about our cast. I want to kind of go segment by segment and talk about a few of the people that we saw in there. So Father's Day started off, starts things off, and we we mentioned Ed Harris, a very young Ed Harris with a whole lot of hair, which is always interesting to see because I'm so used to seeing <laughs> him with no hair, balding. Um, so and uh, and very tight jeans too. I noticed. I mean, yes, it was eighty two. I was very appreciative of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you had Ed Harris, and then the other one was Aunt Bedelia, was played by Vivica Linfors. And as I was watching this, I was trying to think of why she looked so familiar to me. And Monica brought up that she was in Stargate, and that was what it was. She is in the beginning of Stargate, and I really like that movie. So that's what I remember her from. Uh, although her, Catherine. yeah, Catherine, although her accent was much stronger in this and it was kind of jarring. Her, uh, her Swedish accent didn't fit with the rest of the, uh, the aristocratic family that she was part of. So that was, a little Aunt Bedelia. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, those other, those other people cracked me up. I don't even know their names. Um, the, uh, what was it? Richard? No, not was the brother Richard. I think. Um, Richard, go and look for him. I, can't, I think so. Okay. That sounds right. We should look these things up. Probably. 
It's like there's a whole website they could tell but you that the, information. The brother and sister Websites, were the brother and sister were fine. Um, I didn't think they were anything special. I, in fact, Ed Harris really doesn't give like a standout performance except for his dancing. But because it's Ed Harris, you remember it. Uh, but it, it's a good. It's also a good story to kick the anthology off with because it's kind of a slow burn until uh, you know Grandpa. Um, Grandpa Bernie Sanders comes out of the grave, right? Uh, and then it really, no. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Whoops. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's you're what right. He looks like. I thinking. I don't know why my brain conflated it to the to the guy at the end of the movie was being the Bernie Sanders oh. one, but no, yeah, Grandpa, <laughs> no. that's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> when he came out of the grave, he didn't even have skin. <laughs> no, just what are you talking about? Uh, and then you know it kind of picks up from there, but it's it's interesting because it's like. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird little story. It doesn't really have a point other than he just comes back and wants his cake. Uh, and he got it. Yeah. And, and really the whole thing is set up for that one moment where he shows up with the plate, with the platter with, uh, with what's her name's head on it. Sylvia's head. He did get murdered. So that's why he came back. He did. And I did, uh, I read that the marble ashtray, that they use in that sequence that was the murder weapon is in all five stories somewhere. Yep. Ooh. Yeah. And, I did not know that. And I didn't yeah, realize I it either. I noticed it on this watch. It, it pops up in, uh, in the background in a lot of other ones. It's on the, uh, like the nightstand in something to tide you over next to his bed. It's on, I can't, they, they had it in the trivia, but I thought that was kind of cool. Um, and oh, as I was, awesome. yeah, as I was capturing audio, I noticed that. So that was pretty fun. Um, and, but overall, I think Father's Day is is pretty solid uh, and a good way to start things off. Um, it has the most 80s of 80s dancing and music I have probably ever seen. Uh, at one point, I think I made the joke that the daughter's having a seizure because that's kind of what it looked like. She she had a very Elaine uh, from Seinfeld dance thing going on there. It was, you know what? It was more, it was, it, Elaine's dance is very like erratic and like, like something's wrong with her. Like, you know... But this one was kind of just like she kept putting her knee up in the air, and I don't really know what she was doing. But like, you know, she looked like she was having fun. Oh, totally. You have to wonder what music they were listening to on set when they were recording that, because you know it wasn't whatever song they were playing at the you know in the actual thing. So I just wonder what they were listening to. Typically, that's what happens: is whatever music is going to play gets added after the fact. So it's rarely the same song that's played on set. So I just wonder, like, I wonder if it's the same song or if it isn't what they were listening to to be dancing that way. Because, yeah, <laughs> it was something else. Um, and at, uh, upon request from Monica, I did capture uh, a bit of audio that I do have to play. Because uh, this is, aside from some head-bobbing dance moves, this is Ed Harris's uh, con- contribution to this movie, which is... <laughs> that sound. <laughs> So I will tell I will tell this story really quickly. Okay. There are a few moments in movies of my childhood where uh, we would rewind what was going on, and this was one of them. Uh, me and my my brothers, when we would watch this, that part, we would rewind because it would make us laugh. So we'd rewind and then laugh and then rewind and then laugh, and it was just. Like, I must have seen that one little part probably, like, 50 times in one night of watching this. <laughs> and uh, so that's also, like, just in in my brain forever. 
Yeah, so yeah. you just wore the wore that part of the VHS out with the sound. <laughs> Splat! Because it's just like it's such a great sound, isn't it? And it's just like it, oh, it's a great little uh, little howl from him. Um, that whole scene is actually I I really enjoy that, even though it's it's dumb. Like it's totally dumb that he fell and then just lays there watching that stone move. But at yeah, the same time, seriously. like it's so great. <laughs> I think if when it I was, was me, my ass would be up and out of there. <laughs> yeah, as I'm watching, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get up now. Nope, nope, never mind. I'm just going to lay here and watch this. Nope, I'm going to get, nope, nope, not going to get up still. I think he was like, I think he was afraid of like moving the ground and having it just like completely go. But at the same time, like I do something, but then that body just magically popped out of the ground and rolled over onto him. Like it's just magic, by the way, because it's just bodies. That's what they do, right? Well, no, and he then grabbed he saw, it. Like, the weird skeleton guy. He grabbed but the still, body. like the whole body, like he grabbed it, and all of a sudden, like the whole thing just came up and like around. It was just weird. <laughs> it was. It was a very weird movement. But it gave us this. <laughs> so you know, I'm fine with that. Um, I did get one other sound from that one. I I don't remember what this is though, and I just captured it. So that's telling you what my memory is like. Uh, here we go. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. It's the guy when he sees the head, he's like. Oh, that's the because he's like stucking in air as he's screaming. Yeah, that might be my favorite. I don't know which one I like better between these two. Let's see. Uh, choice A or man, that's, pretty good. That's tough. That's like a one in one A situation for me. Those are those are both pretty epic. And now I have them forever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that was kind of it's. Oh, uh, another cool little tidbit or um, whatnot from this is he comes. Uh, so grandpa Moses or whatever is Nathan. Was that the name? Nathan knows her father comes out of his grave after she spills whiskey on the ground on his grave, which what was it? The trivia said whiskey in Gaelic translates to water of life. So mm-hmm. it wasn't until water of life was spilled that he came out of the ground and decided to kill his daughter. Because he wanted his cake. So, the moral of the story is, you know, drink gin. Yeah, pretty much. And then people won't come back from the grave on you. Yeah. Well, that's okay. I'll stick to my whiskey. <laughs> so, that was that was Father's Day. Um, so, the second one, and again, one of the things I like about this is you get something very different. So you have that story, which is kind of this slow burn and it's got family drama involved in it. And then the second story is just goofy as all hell. And it's starring Stephen King playing Jordy Verrill with the meteor. And that I want to say it's my favorite of the five. It's definitely the silliest, but it, I think it is, it is the silliest, but it also has probably the darkest ending of all five of them, which is, saying something get out Trevor. yeah no i that's the thing i can't say that it's my favorite even though i kind of want to because of and and the reason is because of how silly it is with the way stephen king just way overacts right i think the trivia i read was he was told to act like wiley e. coyote falling off a cliff which he does he's very much a cartoon character throughout the whole thing which you know whatever it's fine it's a silly premise anyway with the meteor hitting and then him and and it's it's almost like it's like a two or three page story, right? Because there's not much to it. The, the meteor hits. He's having the dream of like, oh, maybe I can make some money and, and whatnot. And it's just, uh, 
I don't even know how vines, moss, stuff growing everywhere from the meteor. It's kind of a neat little idea, but it's it's totally Stephen King that sells this whole thing. Um, without yeah. him acting as goofy as he does in that, which he and he has a very unique face, is what I'm going to say. Um, his yeah. eyes, he goes cross-eyed really easily. His eyes are maybe just a touch too close together for the size of his face. I don't know. It, it, it's nothing against him. Like I love Stephen King, but he's got a very unique yeah. looking face. And when yeah, he's and way, nothing, he's it's when we say you say unique, and he's not unattractive. Like he's got really big, nice eyes. Mm-hmm. Like he's perfectly fine looking. He has I mean, in later eyes. years, he gets a little creepier looking as he gets older. So does his son, by the way. I just saw an interview with him. Like they're slow. He's slowly turning into his father. But you know, like it's you know, they're fine. They're fine looking gentlemen's. Yeah, I, I've always found Stephen King to look a little creepy. Anyway, it's just something something about him. But he, him overacting, like he's almost got a unibrow, the hair that he's got, and him just just hamming it up. And that's what made it memorable. Yep, the hammed up country bumpkin. (laughs) He does that well. Um, But uh, it did have the darker of the endings, really, because he, he shoots himself in the face or what was his face with the shotgun as he's begging, you know, for good luck. Like, It was, I wasn't prepared for that as the ending to that sketch. You know what I mean? Like I was prepared for him turning into a, uh, a plant essentially. I just wasn't prepared for that was how he was going to get out of being the plant was shooting himself. So, you know, it is what it is. But overall, again, I, I enjoyed that for his performance. I did capture a couple good ones from that. Um, there's there's this, which there's no way I'm not going to capture. That's a meteor. I'd be dipping shit if that ain't a meteor. Yeah. And then also as he's picking up the... Uh, oh, no, when he's putting the two halves of the meteor into the bucket. Meteor shit. <laughs> so, you know, that one was... Uh, it was good. I, I it's it's funny because I want to, as I'm talking about it, I'm talking myself out of calling it my favorite of the five. The further I go, like in my head, I'm just saying no, no, no. You know what? I don't like this one as much. So I don't know. It's weird, but he's just fun in it. There's not much to say about it as a story because it's really just him slowly growing more and more moss. It was. I didn't like the uh, the image of like the little um, blisters forming on his fingers though. That kind of me out just bleh. oh yeah i mean it, yeah. it's it seemed like they tried to take the color out of space and try to make it a little more accessible yeah make it plants instead of actual color you know i hadn't thought about that but you're probably right i mean that color out of space may have been a, a big influence on that one and it works again um like if you were gonna if I was going to cut one of the five from this, I think the more I think about it, the more this would probably be the segment that I would cut. Because I think it has the the least to tell. I don't know. Uh, it's it's hard to say. But I, 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 having said all that, I still enjoyed it. So, um, Let's see. Third one is something to tide you over. And I had heard of this one. Um, 
and this has Leslie Nielsen and Ted Danson in it, and they're basically the only two people in the whole thing. There's I don't who played Becky. Who does Galen Ross? Does anyone know who that is? I don't remember nope. the name. I don't. I didn't look her up, but she's only really on camera with her real face for like a little bit, stuffed in the sand. Yeah. Um, oh, she only has three acting credits. So, and this was the last of them. She was in Dawn yeah, of I mean, the it's Dead. It's not a huge role. Explains why she's in it. Yeah, <laughs> if she was in Dawn of the Dead as Francine, so that would explain probably her connection to it. So this this one, first of all, anybody under the age of what, probably thirty five, has n- unless you're a, a real big movie fan, you've never seen Leslie Nielsen in anything except like a screwball comedy. Pretty much. Because hey, my mom loved the Tammy movies, and he was in one of those. He is quite handsome and dashing when he had hair back in the day. Well, no, I'm sorry, he always had hair. I'm thinking of somebody else. Um, <laughs> when he had like you know, uh, not white hair when right. he was younger and all that, and it's like yeah, he was a lovely looking man. Well, and so back in the olden days. When I say that, what I mean is like that's a that's a edge case because not everybody's parents are going to watch movies like that or watch Forbidden Planet or some of those classic movies where he was playing a leading man. So most people think of him from Airplane, from The Naked Gun, from, you know, uh Dracula Dead and Loving It, stuff like that where he's playing a, he, and he's incredibly funny. Yeah, they're more known, they're he's incredibly funny. He was kind of he was frightening in this a little bit. There, you can see parts of where he's got that comedic timing, and and if all you know him from is the comedies, you're going to chuckle a little bit. But if you didn't, if you didn't know him from comedies, he's creepy as hell in this, as kind of this sociopath, basically. Yeah. Did we ever find out if Airplane came out before this movie or after? So Airplane did. Airplane after. was 1980. Oh. Okay. So Why did I think of- it was 82? Maybe the uh, second one's 82. Could be. So it was a couple years before that, and that was really the movie that changed his career. But, you know, still, I mean, I, I've i got audio I'll play in a little bit of him. He's got a great voice, first of all. Leslie Nielsen's voice, whether he's doing comedy or what, is fantastic. And But he, he was able to pull off kind of the sinister, real sociopathic uh, thing in this opposite Ted Danson, who was not in the beginnings of his career, but he hadn't had cheers yet. So he hadn't really blown up. Um, and I thought that they played well off of each other. So I, I, I'm not going to say this is one of my favorite Leslie Nielsen performances, but it's, it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be when I first saw him on screen. Well, yeah, because if you're used to his comedic stuff, you, this, this is completely left field. Yeah. And I mean, I know I, I have seen him in plenty of things where he's not being comedic, but, I, it's it was pretty rare that I can remember to see him play like a bad guy or especially somebody who's just dripping with like because he's not only is he just a terrible person but he's enjoying being this terrible person to Ted Danson and torturing him like he's just having a blast doing it so that's I think what really sold it for me was just the way that you could tell his character enjoyed what he was doing to this guy and like uh, you're evil. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was motive for doing it. True. Yeah, but 
But he may have I, overreacted. I'm not saying that Ted Danson didn't possibly deserve it, but I think. Yeah. Oh, he he went overkill on it, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's reason for it. Yeah, but I think like I think the enjoyment of it was a little much. Plus the fact that they like there's that little moment where they kind of establish that Leslie Nielsen doesn't even love her anymore. He's just not going to let anyone else have her. That I think and is that's the big one. Like, yeah. Okay. So maybe they got what they deserved, but in the end, that, so did he. Boy, yeah. howdy. And that's really, I think, what changes, like, makes it more sociopath for me and more more creepy. Isn't that he's upset with Ted Danson and he wants the revenge because uh, he feels slighted. It's the nobody's allowed to have the things that are mine, no matter what. And Which he did say. Yeah. Um, this one, so... On top of that, you have the whole thing of being buried up to your neck at low tide and then having a tide come in. That is, oh, that's a that's a level of hell I don't ever want to go to um, because I've been buried up to, not at low tide, but I've been on a beach buried up to like mid chest, but my arms were free and that was bad enough. I can't imagine being buried to where I can't, can't move my arms. Um, so no thanks there. Uh, but also, this was another one. So just like I talked about how dark it got with the whole grabbing the shotgun and, and blowing his own head off in the previous segment, in this one, I was kind of surprised how long that shot of Ted Danson's head underwater lasted. Because that was kind of, that's chilling. You're basically watching him literally drown. Um, and it's sort of, we talked earlier in the month about uh, a couple of movies where they had somebody on fire on screen for a really long time, and it's kind of surprising because you don't normally see that. You don't normally see somebody who's drowning in a movie where the shot lingers on them for that long. Um, I can only think of a couple of other times. And it's there's something about drowning that, that really kind of gets to me. So that image where... And it's, I think it's because whenever whenever you see that in a movie, at least that I can recall... You're seeing the person kind of gasp for air, but then they've got that thousand yard stare as it sort of sets in. And that to me is just, oh, way, way creepy. So, you know, and it's Ted Danson doing it, which doesn't help. Because that hair is just. Oh, that hair was fabulous. It's beautiful. Um, I read a thing about how they did that and he was like in a, like he was in some kind of like tank and they had someone come down and just give him air in between shots. Yeah. So I was just like, so he was in there for, you know, with his head in the water and stuff for a while while they were filming. But uh, even that, like that's just friggin'. Yeah. I mean, that's enough. And then, oh, but, and what's interesting is. So I, again, having not seen this before, I had no idea where these stories were really going to go. Like I knew, I knew of Creepshow. I had an idea uh, that it was what was in it, but I didn't really know where the stories were going to go. So that segment, something tied you over, could have ended there with, with Leslie Nielsen getting the upper hand. And that would have been a nice little short story. But then it takes the Stephen King turn and, uh, you know, um, what is it? Harry. Harry and Becky come back and that was that took it to a different level I think a different place and I liked it I liked the second half of that story because now you've got Leslie Nielsen you've got what is this Richard Richard Vickers and he's thinking he got away with it and I did read that I guess there was a different ending originally written 
um, where cops show up and he goes to show them the, uh, what was it? I think he goes to show them like security footage of the, the two of them coming into his house. And when he hits play, it's, it's the conversation he has with Ted Danson's character about killing them. And so then the cops arrest him and he goes to trial and it ends with him in a gas chamber saying, I can hold my breath for a really long time. So a very different Which kind of really ending. stupid. <laughs> <laughs> can I just say that? But also, like, if you look at the two, those two stories that we just like the first and the, and the third, like, it's kind of the same thing where, like, there is this terrible person and, like, she was being like uh, the, the father was being abusive to her. So she smashed him in the head. So he kind of got what he deserves for being a piece of shit. Right. I'm sorry. Mm. <laughs> Mark that. <laughs> no worries. And, uh, <laughs> um, you know, but then technically she killed him. So he has to come back for that. And the same thing with this, like they might've been, you know, like uh, cheating or whatever and doing the, the nasty or whatever. Um, but he killed them. So they have to come back. And it's kind of like, I didn't realize how similar the two stories actually are. If you like, look at them that way. Kind of, although they, they come back for different reasons. So in the first one, the, the father's been dead for seven or eight years. I can't, I think they say it's seven, years. seven. Yeah. And he you only, say he came back for cake. I swear. Well, he did. I mean, like, sure, but, but really. But he had been dead for seven. Yeah, but he had been dead for seven years and then comes back after she spills the whiskey on his grave because she comes back every year. Whereas these two are killed and immediately come back to, to exact their revenge for being kind of, you know, in, in a lot of ways wrongfully killed. Like what they did was probably wasn't great, but it certainly didn't deserve the not only death but the type of death that they had. And also, I I noticed real quick though I did notice that on my second viewing, I didn't put it together the first time when he comes out onto the beach, Leslie Nielsen does, and he's picking up the bucket and he notices that the Ted Danson's body is gone. For some reason, it didn't register to me that he was re- realizing that the body wasn't there and that he said he must have gotten taken out with the tide or washed out or something. I, I, I don't know if I just missed that line or what. So It is very quiet and easy to miss. Yeah. But the second time through, I did notice that and I heard it. And I'm like, oh, okay, so he knows the body isn't there. And then there's that real quick, um, you hear Ted Danson's voice with, the, with whatever effect they were doing saying, Richard as he's standing out on the beach and then he goes back to his house and gets into his velour tracksuit. So like, does that assume the fact then that he went back and got her body and did something with her body? If he's like wondering where Ted Danson is, right? You get what I'm saying? Yeah, no, that's, that's so true. Then that, where was she? That like, would be a plot hole. Throw her body somewhere else. And they met up and that's, you know, they were like, Hey, I'm over here. <laughs> I drowned on this side of the beach. It could be. Um, that's sort of a, that's something that they don't really explain at all. Is it like, I just think nope. that's funny. Um, because like, you, you know, then like, how do, how do they, uh, how do they find each other? But in any case, like the other part of it is there's that, the, the moment where they're like, you know, right in front of him and he's like shooting them until he has to throw the gun. <laughs> Cause that's my favorite thing people do in movies is just throw the gun. Uh, that should be on the list. Um, but so <laughs> it's like, he throws him, he locks himself. I don't know why I'm flustered right now, but he throws, he throws himself. He walks into the bathroom. bathroom. Yep. 
and locks the door and then they're behind him. So were they real? That's a good question because there's a shot earlier where it shows them opening like the where the hidden wall of video is behind the picture. And then the movie cuts to the security camera footage and there's just a mist in front of it. There's no bodies there. Mm-hmm. So it's sort it's of so open to interpretation, I guess. Yeah, which would be another difference because I assume that the grandpa or whatever is just a zombified body and they're, I don't know. I yeah. have no idea. Apparitions but, of the mist. Something. They're... Can I say the one bit of trivia that sure. I learned? Yeah. The... um. Okay, so wait, let me get there. Hold on. Crap. 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 Should have this pulled up already. Well while you're doing while you're doing that, I want to play this audio. Go ahead. But I can bench press three hundred pounds. No, you can't. I'm sorry, Ted. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. I I ain't buying that. Three hundred pounds? That's a lot of weight to bench press. Maybe maybe once. Maybe once. But NFL players bench press 225 in, and they do that by how many reps they can do of that, not the fact that they can bench press it. So, yeah, I ain't buying Ted Danson was benching no 300 pounds. I don't know. It was 1982. None of us were born. Uh, maybe things Wrong. Back then. Okay. I was too. <laughs> I, was, I was born. Okay. So, like, okay. So, um, in Something to Tide You Over, mm-hmm. in this story, it was filmed on location at Island Beach State Park, Berkeley Township, New Jersey. Oh, yeah. Which I find amazing because I live in New Jersey. I've been to Island Beach State Park, which is a really long name for a beach, by the way. just want you to know. Um, and I just, I think that's so cool. Like, when I learned that the first Friday the 13th was filmed in New Jersey. So it's like southern New Jersey, though, which we don't go there. But, <laughs> you know, just learning little things like this that, you know, things were filmed in my state. And it's just, it's so cool. Yeah. It's like a little, like, like Ted Danson was on the same beach that I was on. <laughs> Leslie Nielsen was on the same beach. Maybe, maybe he was Stephen King pressing. was there. Probably not. But maybe. And definitely Romero was there. You oh, know? sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ted Danson was there bench pressing th- 300 pounds. <laughs> um, so I did get a couple of Leslie Nielsen lines because just his delivery on them was, was something else. And here we go. Don't call me Mr. And I cut that one a little bit short, but just listen to that. I mean, it's very sinister sounding. Don't call me Mr. Yeah. Um, Don't call me Shirley. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man, I should have cut those together if I'd had more time. (laughs) Uh, Well, you can do it for the forever files. There you go. Uh, Let's see. What was this? I can hold my breath for a long time. Oh, that's a that's a man who's lost it all. Oh, I love that though. Like he's so (laughs) And then it ends with that the look on his face that they freeze frame on is so good. That's such a great freeze frame. Um and then the comic with a different line than what he said. Yeah. Yep, that's very true. Uh let's see. Oh, this was Did they do that on purpose? Yeah, they did that with a couple of them. Yeah, if you look at the the whatever frame they use to end a an ep, like a segment, the comic frame will have something in the word bubble that isn't exactly the same as what they said. Close, but not that. exact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, let's see. This was actually the segment I got the most audio from, probably because of Leslie Nielsen. I promised that you'd see Becky again. I kept my promise. Is that insane? No, it's not insane, but you kind of are. He admits to it, though. That's true. That That is very true. At least um, he's rationalizing his crazy. Yeah. Take your hand off me right now. Okay, that's creepy. And I, I, sure, sure thing, Mr. Nielsen, I will take my hand off of you now. Like, that, and, you know, you got to reconcile that with the guy who says, well, don't call me Shirley, but. Take your hand off me right now. That's a great voice. Come on. You, you got to love his voice. Um. Oh, this was another one of his good lines in there. No exceptions, Harry. Creepy. Very creepy. And this one, I'm sorry. If you weren't alive in the 80s, you probably don't appreciate this as much. Harry, the maiden fair is waiting for her knight in shining corduroy. Because I don't know if either of you had ever wore corduroy, but I definitely had some corduroy pants. And the sound of walking in corduroy pants will never, ever leave my brain. Thankfully, no. <laughs> No. You are both very lucky. And I, I went to Catholic school, so. I definitely had corduroy pants and the vip, vip, vip sound. Ugh. And then, of course. Did you start and, any fires? <laughs> thankfully, no. Um, and, of course, anytime there's a, a crazy laugh or a real forced laugh, I have to get it. And Leslie Nielsen, he delivered. They did that a few times in this uh, movie where people were just hysterically laughing because they, they just, they like, but laughing from fear, which I thought was kind of neat. I, I liked that, uh, that aspect of things. So that is uh, something to tide you over. Oh man, that's a good one. Just, and, and again, you're talking about the last two segments have had a total of basically three people on screen. For two segments, and they're really effective. One is silly, and the other is creepy, uh, but both work really, really well. So, and work even better paired back to back. It's true. And then you go to number four, which is the crate, which may be my favorite. Um, it's my favorite because okay, Hal Holbrook. Yeah, so you got Hal Holbrook as Henry Northrup, and then his wife. Wilma or Billy is played by Adrian oh. Barbeau and Adrian Barbeau. You, I mean, and then you got Fritz Weaver as Dexter Stanley and they're, they're the top three build cast too. And they're in the fourth segment, but this, this one had the most Stephen King moment in the entirety of the movie for me. And can either of you guess what that might be? What, what do you think is the most Stephen King of moments in this movie? Let's start with Monica. Any guess? Uh, the crate. Okay. How about Christina? What do you think it was? <laughs> it was the ending shot. Nope. With, uh, no? Nope, you're both wrong. I didn't the, realize that there was going to be a test. You should have <laughs> been either. taking notes. No, the most <laughs> Stephen King moment in the whole thing is when, uh, when Henry is yelling at Wilma and then he pulls the gun out at the party and, his, and it, it's all in his head. But he shoots her. So he shoots his wife in the head and 
and immediately after that, like all the party guests are looking at her and then they just look up at him and start clapping and like saying nice shot and all that. That's such a Stephen King moment that I was just like, oh yeah. Even if I didn't know he wrote this, I would have assumed that he had something to do with that moment in there. It felt like something out of the shining felt like something out of it. That real, that just surreal uh, moment that they had there. So that was the most Stephen King moment. You both failed. I'm sorry. Do better next time. You are the weakest link. Goodbye. (laughs) Um, So can we talk about Fluffy for a minute? Yes. We can always talk about Fluffy. Fluffy is the whatever the hell that thing is that's in the crate that is clearly too large to fit into whatever crate that is, let alone all the bodies it drags into it. But I don't care because it it was amazing. The the crate's a bag of holding. Yeah, that's got to be what it is. Um, like a TARDIS. So, okay, at this point now we can talk about Tom Savini. Tom Savini did the makeup work for this movie. Tom Savini's makeup work is unreally good. Like, it's just fantastic. It fits this tone so well. It fits the era that this was made in so well. That fluffy, that animatronic, is so cool. And they did a good job of showing it without overexposing it so they didn't quite yep. they didn't quite pull a jaws where you barely see it because you definitely have some shots of it uh, held on screen but it's not not for very long and it it was great i loved the the makeup work in this but the, that thing specifically was like my favorite thing in the movie is fluffy by far also Can i, I learned... say how much i love tom savini go for it I love Tom Savini. All right. Hello, Tom Savini. Uh, Um, Monica here. I love you. You are amazing. I am a giant fan. I met you like twice, uh, but was too scared to like take a picture with you or whatever. Because, you know, I was always shy when I was younger. And now I haven't been to as many horror conventions. And now we're not allowed to go anywhere ever again. So there's that. But if ever again, I get the chance. Because he's always at the one here in in Jersey. So Mm -hmm. um, if I get the chance to go again, I'm definitely going to get a picture or something with him. Oh, totally. Because he's super cool. Yeah, he seems like a really cool guy. But man, just the makeup work that he did. like, So you got the animatronic creature, which I did read. He actually got a hold of Rob Botton to to get some tips on. Rob Botton, who did all the creature work for the thing. Um, Because he had never really done an animatronic like that, I guess. I don't know if this, this wasn't his first movie. He had worked on stuff pr- prior to this, right? Because didn't he oh, work yeah, on? Yeah. He did. He's old. He did Dawn of the Dead and, and whatnot. I said that. But um, man, it was good. Like the the scene where the where Fluffy attacks um, the grad student uh, Charlie. You know, and he bites him on the neck, and then he slashes across his face. That looked really, really good. The the slash across the face you could tell was a a, a dummy of some kind, um, but. I don't care. It still looked awesome. Like the makeup work was great in it. And um, yeah, I just, it, and all, all the way through it had a, it had that Tom Savini feel uh, even from the very beginning from when, uh, when grandpa Moses comes out of the grave, like um, I could tell that was a Tom Savini and it seemed like a, that, that character, that um, skeleton zombie thing that comes out of the grave in the beginning of the movie feels like a precursor to um, the Tar Man from Re- Return of the Living Dead a little bit. Oh, yeah. 
like that same yeah, same I feel style that, that face yeah oh god tarman is so great by the way he really is i um, love return of the living dead so and i also really liked so the, i think this was the longest of the segments wasn't it the crate if i'm not mistaken or at least it felt like the longest one i don't know by a few minutes perhaps um but i kind of liked how this one had almost acts to it right so they had sort of act one was at the party and um you get the establishment of of henry and wilma and sort of her browbeating him constantly and then act two is the discovery of fluffy and what happens to the janitor and to charlie and act three is Hal Holbrook going back and cleaning everything up and then tricking his wife into showing up so he can get rid of her. Like, he's finally found his out. Henry Henry has his way to get rid of his uh, his wife that he just can't stand anymore. Bless you, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. I, I, actually, it's a scene uh, when she is finally taken. Uh, I cheered. <laughs> oh, yeah. She was terrible. There's a lot of not great most people. most annoying. Oh, totally. No, Adrienne Barbeau kills it in that role because she just, from the second she opens her mouth, you're just like, oh, God, I just want her gone. Um, here's a question for you. Oh, go ahead. You, you had something. I was just going to say, you could see that in the eyes of all the other people yeah, there, too. That's very true. Uh, so I'm going to play a piece of audio for you, and I want, I want to get whether or not you think this was actually the line. Or, or not. And you'll see what I mean after this. Whoever that etiquette crotch is. So, is that really what she said? Because her lip movements doesn't match that in the movie. Do you remember this part? This is where she's talking to the other two women. Um, and this is Adrian Barbeau. And she's she mentions a name and then she says, Whoever that etiquette crotch is. Because she didn't say the word crotch. She did said you, another. Did you she, clip the video for us? Um, I didn't. However, that would have helped. <laughs> I can, I well, I can tell you. She doesn't say the word crotch, but she says another word that starts with the letter C and is very, very derogatory. Because I, I can somewhat uh, read lips. Is it? You mean the the normal C or like the British C? Um, like our C that we would say that people think is bad, or the British C that ever that Americans are like. Oh my God. Uh, probably the one I like one. to say. Yeah, that's the one. The see you next Tuesday. Yep, that's what she's saying. Which maybe it's in the DVD. But it also makes sense then why the women around her got so offended and walked off as quickly as they did. Like, I could I could see that. So, yeah, I I just noticed it on the second watch. I'm like, oh, that's she didn't say the word crotch at all. <laughs> so, but so I'm wondering if it's different on the DVD versions. Because this is like a, you know, this is decently old DVD. I don't, I'm wondering. It could be, or it could have been that um, that that was too much at, in 1982 for them to get away with and still get an R rating. Because that can happen Perhaps. sometimes. The mm. ratings, the ratings board could be like, e- you know what? No, let's let's not have that word in there. And then they overdub it. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna check my DVD and get back to you all. Yeah, you do that. You let me I'll know. Wait my call. Um, but no, the crate overall is, is actually a really good, fun little story. All right. Hold on just a minute. You go lay down. It's enough. 
Go lay down. You can wait. Sorry about that. But Dad, you've talked enough. Yeah. Um, it's time to take me out. Always. No, I think the crate is a fun little story. Um, I do like how how much you get to see Hal Holbrook Henry change throughout it because he's very meek at the beginning, but he's got the the uh, the mental images of killing his wife constantly. So he finally finds the way that he can do it and get away with it, and he does. And. <laughs> <laughs> just the meticulous way in which he goes about cleaning everything up and tricking her into getting there. And then he has that one moment where the creature doesn't come out of the box and he's like, Oh great. What have I done now? And then it shows up and, you know, takes care of the problem for him. So he, he locks it up and you get later that morning. Now he's like, he's the cat that caught the canary, right? And he's, he's all, he's got Dexter right where he wants him. He's going to have his chest buddy for, for life now. So, um, and it's got the very Stephen King type of ending where, you know, he, he thinks he got away with it all, but the creature gets out. I did read, too, that Tom Savini said that there was a shot that showed um, Adrian Barbeau's body or remains or something coming out of the crate at the same time, but they cut that. Ah. So. You, so basically the creature goes, you abused me or used me for nefarious reasons. You're going to get it back. Probably. Something like that. Which would fit into the rest of these stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Because it's it's a lot of stories about people thinking they did something or thinking they got away with something and then getting their comeuppance. Every one of them. Yep, that's Stephen King, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and say The Crate is my favorite of the five. Uh, as, as I it's think about one. it more and more, it's it's my favorite of the five because it's got a little more of a story structure to it. Hal Holbrook is, and Adrian Barbeau always win in my book and, and it had fluffy and fluffy is just fluffy is fluffy. I love fluffy. <laughs> I love that look that he gives, you know, when, when, or we don't know, right. Fluffy gives that look, uh, coming out of the crate. And when he grabs, um, Adrian Barbeau and just gives hell Holbrook the look, it's just like, yeah, yeah, pretty much. I feel it. you, bro. <laughs> yeah. Or something like that. So I kind of feel like he won't come back, but he's, or Fluffy won't come back, but Fluffy's out on the hunt. Yeah, he'll go find he some new people. Find. Huh? He'll find some new people to deal with. So, and then the final segment was they're creeping up on you. And that's another one that basically has one person in it, right? It's just E.G. Marshall as um, Upson Pratt, who, boy, is he. A piece of work. He is a prat. Um, But I kind of like, again, another one of those self-contained little stories that just deals with one person. You get a couple of other voices who, and the first guy that calls him on the phone, I'm sorry, but he sounded like Charlie from Charlie's Angels. I don't think it was, and I couldn't find a name in the IMDb anywhere, but I swear it was the same voice. Um, But yeah, it's basically just Upson Pratt is a total germaphobe living in his sterile New York City apartment where everything is white and his, everything is clean. I mean, the the segment opens with him wearing a mask in his apartment and gloves and spraying down a cockroach. Now, now wow. he's, he's just taking everything seriously now. Yeah, Irony, huh? That's right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, mm. who would have thought? Um, but as the as the episode goes on, you learn more and more about this guy, and he's just a horrifically terrible human being. And he's, I mean, he takes delight in some guy killing himself during a hostile takeover of his company, you know, 
So again, getting his comeuppance because as much as he hates the, uh, now, okay, here's another question for you then. Were the cockroaches that were, that were attacking him and everything, was that real or was that something in his head? Do you think? That's a good question. I mean, at least a couple of them were probably real. Maybe that, that many. Yeah, that could be. Um, Cause like in the in the one scene like they're all over and then in the next scene he, they're just inside of his body and then the next scene like the whole thing's filled up and that's how it ends and I'm like I don't I don't know <laughs> do they have babies or something inside of him and then that's I don't know uh, I have no idea that was but I like mean, everything kind of plays with your mind like that in this like did it really happen yeah. or are we just you know hey that's enough. What the hell was he eating in that one scene too? Like, what was he blending cereal and yogurt? Like, yeah, I don't... I don't know what that was. That was gross. Ew. No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what is you know what is real and what is in their heads in this, um, which does kind of I don't know. It adds to it for me. I, I kind of like that where they play with reality and what is actually happening versus what isn't, and that's that helps too when you're doing segments that have you know one actor in it because really the um, what is it, the creeping up on you has E.G. Marshall and some voices and that's it you see the eyeball or the the face of one other person so and eg marshall does a great job carrying that whole thing basically just playing off of himself for most of it so yeah um so last year's anthology was trick or treat that we covered on this show uh i think it's hard for me to say because there's so there's such different anthologies like creep show is very much five different stories just being told um and there's no like the wraparound for it is just the comic there's no like they have the the thing with the dad and the son who is joe um joe hill stephen king's son uh was the kid and that did have uh shoot tom what is his last name atkins atkins i don't know why i can never remember that name uh tom atkins as his father which was great and uh, is another tie to last year's Halloween month for this show from Halloween three season of the witch. So that was, that was cool, but it doesn't, you know, it, it's not like it's uh somebody, some narrator telling the story or anything. Whereas trick or treat was, was very much like three stories that sort of interwove inside this one town on Halloween night. So it's a very different thing. So it's hard for me to say which one is more a favorite for me because I liked both. Uh, for very different reasons. This is good. I can't believe it took me this long to see Creepshow. Um, I'm, Don't forget to check out the sequel. I have heard Creepshow. I haven't seen Creepshow 2, but I have heard that uh, it's as good. Next year. Yeah, maybe. If I don't watch it before that. But <laughs> maybe I, mean, I can hold can out for a year. do it. We'll see. We'll see. Um, I am going to say, again, that The Crate is my favorite of these five. Uh, and I think... Uh, there's just something about that one that for me is the is the best of the five stories being told maybe it's because it's the most complete story which is interesting coming from the fact that i said at the top that shorts are great because you don't have to tell a complete story um but i think also it has you know it had the the best looking makeup effects uh throughout it it looked like it had the most production done on it probably yeah um you know, but then you have something like something to tide you over, which really for three quarters of that is a very simple story um, of just the guy getting buried up to his neck in the sand. So. 
simple story of a guy finding a meteorite. Yeah. Overall, I mean, this is a good one. If you haven't watched Creep Show yet, go watch it. For crying out loud, it's it's good. Yes, like, please. It's got it's got the right mix for me of creepy horror and camp and humor that works really well. If you're into things like Evil Dead 2 or any sort of the comedy horrors, you know, even something like Shaun of the Dead that we watched last week, um, you'll like Creep Show. I, I really think you will. Uh, you know, you go into it knowing that it's a it's an '80s thing. It does. It did make me want to not only check out the sequel, but also the the series on Shutter and see if that's any good. Hint: It is. <laughs> oh, did you like it? Yes. I saw like one episode, and I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. There, it, I still enjoyed it. Trying to compare the, them is definitely something you shouldn't do. Because it's a completely different world now. We're not used to having horror being more filled with camp. We're used to horror having more dread. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's how they went. So if you're going in it expecting, you know, camp, it's camp, you're going to not like it. But it still has some camp. It does have uh, people getting their comeuppance. So it still has the type of feel, just not as much camp. Okay. No, that's good to know going into it. Because you're right, it is a very different world from 1982. So that was almost 40 years ago. I mean... I enjoyed them, and the first one was definitely not my favorite of them. I'd have to rewatch them because I watched them as they were releasing them uh, a year ago or so. But yeah, I mean, I... Overall, I enjoyed them. If you say so, I'm definitely going to give it another shot. I feel like we have similar tastes. But they definitely don't have no Hal Holbrook or Adrian Barbeau in it. That's for sure. Or Ed Harris. Um, Yeah. (laughs) No dancing. I mean, I think Adrian Barbeau is... Oh, she might have been been involved in one, now that I think about it. I think she's going to be in... I I don't remember. Maybe I was reading something else. I'm not sure. Speaking of reading things. Yeah, she was. Okay, she was in the um, TV series. In a couple of episodes, one uncredited nice. and one one where she plays a character named Dixie. So, yeah, I retract I my previous that. statement. They just didn't have a Hal Holbrook or he's ninety five. No, I know, but still, um, like, no, what are they I look, do creep show. Watch Wave it; it it's good. Yes, that's what they should, a cute they should do. Little man too. They should bring back little tiny jeans. I also found <laughs> that um. Not only did they have Fluffy, but the skeleton at the beginning that's in the window, the creeper, or the creeper or whatever, uh-huh. his name was Raul. That's what they called him. Oh, I him. didn't know that. Yeah. Raul, really? Raul. So. Well, Raul, you scared the poop out of me <laughs> when I was a kid. Like, seriously, I kept looking in my window expecting that dude to be there. What I liked was when I was watching it again the second time, uh, I noticed that his face moved a little bit they articulated parts of his face so he could smile which was creepier in my opinion Mm -hmm. like way creepier so yeah hats off to tom savini for the um makeup effects and the creature effects and the animatronics and all that that he did for this because holy crap were they good that guy just i mean he deserves all the accolades and awards that he that he gets so yeah, this this was a lot of fun. This was a fun Halloween month because it was a little different from last year. Now, Monica, you had you've been writing scene settings because you gave us one last week, right, for Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. And did, did you I? do? I did, right? You did one for Shaun of the Dead. 
Yeah, that's right. And you did one for Frankenstein too. I remember that. I think you did. I pretty sure. I think I, I feel like I missed one of those, but I know I did one for Chopping Mall. Well, do you have one for the Creep Show? Yes, it's a little weird. Um, it's not my normal. Creep Show uh, is a little weird, so it fits. Rhetoric. It's not my normal way of writing. Uh, I preface this by saying that I'm not a professional writer. I am not a singer songwriter. I am not a poet in any fashion, except you know that I wore black in high school and didn't date. So here we go. You too. um here we go there's a comic book at the center and five stories all around a dad that's abusive and thankfully no clowns on father's day there was a cake and a bloody head a drunk old woman with a flowered hat and dancing that's terribly bad the ballad of jody is the most appalling i swear i just can't watch With King, you never know where it will go. I'm not great at endings. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I could hold my breath until the tide rolls out. If zombies come to drag me down, I'd probably only sob. I guess they aren't zombies. So maybe I'd just drown. The thing under the stairs is really named Fluffy, and how it seems to fit inside his crate to which he sits is more than wonderment. And I really don't like bugs. So no matter what story you live and who becomes your foe, the only thing you can't deny is your love for our creep show. Oh, very good. Yay! <laughs> do the do the beatnik snaps. <laughs> yeah, I like that like, too. It's, it's like not really I, I like where you just say everywhere. <laughs> no, no, but it's great. And it, it you just get there and you're like, and I really don't like bugs. Moving on. <laughs> I really don't. Like, I was going to write something like, you know, this guy was a jerk and he got what he deserved, but I don't like bugs and I I don't know how to make that rhyme. (laughs) I would say if there was one effect in the entirety of this movie that I would like to see done with current technology, it would be as much as it would just freak me out because I don't like bugs either. It's the moment where all the bugs come crawling out of, uh, of Upson. Pratt. Mm-hmm. Out of his mouth. Yeah, to see that done with today's makeup technology and today's stuff. Mm-hmm. I also read that that was one of the more expensive uh, segments to shoot because of the cockroaches. They, uh, I think Romero said they spent like $125,000 on cockroaches. What? Well, they had 250,000 cockroaches and it cost them 50 cents a piece. So... <laughs> And originally, the the way it was written was the the apartment was supposed to be have like this lush carpet and all that stuff, and they were like, yeah, that's that's not going to work at all with these. So they went with this sort of hospital like uh, look to everything, the stark white. But yeah, I thought that was crazy that they were they cost that much for all those cockroaches, and they had a lot of them. That reminded me of the poem. I can't remember who wrote this. Was it Poe? But it was like. The bugs crawl in and bugs crawl out in your stomach and out your mouth. Yeah. It was like, there's a whole other part to it, but I always remember that it was it's Poe or some some dark poet from the olden days that Probably. used to rhyme. But could be Poe. Yeah. So creep show, definitely check it out and watch it. Now, um, if you are catching this show live, then you know that uh, I record every Sunday night, 8 p.m. at Twitch.tv/tvstravis, but. If you're not listening to it live, now you know where to go to watch live and hop in our chat room. 
because it's uh, it can be fun. We, I, I keep an eye on it as we're going. We always like to, to check and see who's in there. And the show comes out every Wednesday. It's at tvstravis.com is the, the easiest way to find it. You can search for it in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or, or any other one. Um, but that is going to be the easiest way to find it is tvstravis.com slash subscribe. And then you can not miss an episode. We're at number 85. We're closing in on 100, which I never thought I'd actually get to 100 episodes. But, so got going to have to do something special for episode 100 for sure. Special 100 episode. Yes. Well, now I want to thank both of you for being on. Christina, always a pleasure having you on. And it was great to get to talk about uh, this because you've told me about this one a few times. So so I definitely am glad that uh, I was able to finally watch it. So maybe I'll get off my back about it now. Nah, never, because there's always other movies. <laughs> but uh, also I want to thank Monica for coming on, not only tonight, but all month talking horror movies. You got me to watch Chopping Mall which is not a movie that I ever would have watched on my own. Thank you for that, because that was good. You suffered Another through... one I tried to get him to watch. Yeah, it's true. You suffered through Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. I uh, sure did. And then we got to talk about Shaun of the Dead, which was so much fun. And uh, Even and... if Scotty didn't like it. No, but I think much like you didn't like Frankenstein, he sort of saw the merits of it over uh, over the discussion and didn't hate it nearly as much by the end as he as it sounded like. So I don't know. That's how I took it anyway. And then we cap it off with a fun um, a fun anthology. I'm I'm I said it at the top of the show, but I'm a big fan of anthologies. I want to find some more uh, good ones to watch because I I, just oh, I got it. one for you. Okay, good. Well, we'll we'll have to talk about that. I have a couple too. <laughs> um, now, Monica, you you have a couple of shows that you work on regularly, don't you? Yes, I do. Actually, I I am. Uh, whoa, yeah. Oh crap, yeah. So check me out. I uh, I do a Heroes of the Storm podcast called Q for Fun. It's a great show. I think we have an episode coming out this week. I don't really. I'm not really sure. We're taking off next week. But in any case, you know, just check out the show. Subscribe. Um, and I also host a Hearthstone show called Hearth Casual, uh, that's over on the Warcraft radio network of podcasts. So you can check that out there. Um, but also, um, I'm, I'm on Twitter at Wicked Kitten 13 and on Twitch. And I want to make it known that this Saturday is Halloween and I'm planning on doing a, um, a scary movie stream or something like the Amazon watch along. Uh, so it'd be cool if you want to come hang out and um, that would be great. I might invite some friends along. Yeah, that, that would uh, be fun. Depending on what time I'll be there. Yay. So yeah, awesome. we can have yeah. you in voice too. Yeah. That sure. would be awesome. Um, but yeah, I have no idea what time, but. <laughs> well, keep an eye on Twitter and wicked kitten 13 yeah. and you'll, you'll find out. Exactly. I will. I will definitely tweet it out at some point during the week when I figure out. You know, obviously it's going to be at night, but you know, yeah. that's life. I, yeah. Horror. Anything horror. I'm all for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of horror, things may be in the future for that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, keep an eye out on Wicked at Wicked Kitten Thirteen, or I'm on Twitter at at TV's Travis as well. Um, oh wait, so wait, there, wait. There might be and an Travis. What else are you working on? I feel like I should throw it to you. <laughs> I mean, I have this show and I have Let's Watch Highlander, which I do on Mondays. 
with Audie Norman, where we're going through uh, Highlander the series episode by episode. We're we're wrapping up season one, um, and it's finally getting to the good episodes. So, plus there might be something new coming uh, shortly. I don't want to give away too much yet, so we'll see. Keep an eye out on at my Twitter, TV's Travis. Also, I have stickers still, and if you want one, you got to go to TV's Travis and and ask me for one. Just ask for one, I will send it to you. So, anyway, that's gonna wrap it up for this week and for Halloween 2020. Uh, the weirdest year that we've had on record that I can remember, and oh boy, Scaretober. Yes, Scaretober. There we go. Does this mean um, I can come back next year, Travis? I think we can work something out. Yes, please come back. <laughs> <laughs> now, next week, my guest is going to be Tanner Goodman, and we are going to be watching The Matrix. He's never seen it, Ooh. and Ooh. I'm looking forward to talking to him about it because I'm really curious to get the. I'm really curious to get somebody's perspective watching it now, 20-something years after it came out and what they think of it. So until next week and The Matrix, uh, I do like to always say, and and I stole this from Christina. She gave me the line early on in this series, which is enjoy your movies. So get out and enjoy your movies, and it's a crazy time. So be excellent to each other. This has been Wait You Haven't Seen. way, Henry, or I swear to God, you'll be wearing your balls for earrings. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> <laughs>